Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons. And I'm Joshua Simmons. We are two brothers who love fly fishing, our families, and our men of faith. But like most of you listening, we're still not experts on any of those subjects. So our hope is to speak with as many people that we believe are experts on these subjects and pose the questions that most of us are asking. So thanks for joining us along the journey as we seek to inspire and encourage dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, fatherhood, and faith on the fly. Coming up on today's episode. And I just kind of fell in love with it and just fell in love with how good teachers communicate ideas and concepts uh, and the importance of just on how people can communicate those ideas and just make people better versions of themselves. And I think, uh, you know, the people who I I love uh, reading about the most these days, you know, like there's an old guy named John Wooden, uh, former UCLA basketball coach. But I mean, I'm kind of an old school guy, kind of an old soul, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I just love people like Coach Wood and people like him and like guys like Joe Humphreys. But one of the things um, I remember listening to Lefty Cray talk about, and this was maybe at the Virginia show years and years ago, was good instructors don't show people how good they are. They try to help people become better fly fishers. And that's my whole purpose. I, I don't consider myself a good angler, but I do tr- really try to become the best teacher possible. That was Mr. George Daniel talking about his love of teaching fly fishing coming up on today's episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I am Caleb Simmons, joined as always by my brother Joshua. Joshua, how you doing, man? Well, dude, when this episode drops, I'm going to be doing good. Uh, Let's see, this episode will drop and this Monday afternoon I'll be on a little trip. Flying. A little trip. Uh, Me and my wife are going to get a little trip down to Texas and uh, she's doing some working. And so two of those days she's doing some working, I'm going to be doing some fishing. Love how you tied that in there. Yeah, there's uh, actually a cool opportunity. I can't wait. We're going to have an episode that I'm going to actually get to do why I uh, am down there with uh, a cool fly shop that I can't wait to kind of tell everybody about. It's going to be pretty awesome. Well, cool, man. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for your trip. You're going to chase some weird species down there uh, near Austin and um, Austin, Texas. So yeah, it's have gonna a good be, time. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited for you. But uh, before we get into today's episode want to give a couple of reminders. Uh, first reminder, we have three spots open for the 2024 Dads on the Fly Father-Son Retreat right here in beautiful Western North Carolina, right here in Canton. You can hear all about that first retreat by listening to uh, an episode that we did a while back that recapped it. But that trip, Caleb, you're pulling up the dates right there, is April 2024, and those dates are? April 26th through the 28th. So yeah, make sure if you're interested in the Dads on the Fly Father-Son Retreat next April, uh, it's going to be April 26th through 28th. You can hear all about what we do on that uh, during, um, <clears throat> excuse me, during uh, one of our previous episodes where we kind of recap the first one and uh, we're excited for year two and uh, hopefully already thinking about getting another one prepared yep. for the got, fall of 24 as well. So we got three we're spots excited about that. So three spots open there if you want to get in. Uh, big news today, uh, looks like our Albi trip. For the fall, it's full. Yeah, man. So excited uh, about that one. It's full up, and it's going to be a good time. And we get to hang out with Tyler from Drumroll Charters and Travis, who were on last week's episode. So looking forward to that. And other than that, man, I think we uh, got a couple things to talk about what we did today. Yeah, man, we're just right in the throes of summer. And um, so that means we're trying to get out on the water as much as we can. We talked about it. It was so funny. We took a little trip today, this afternoon, just a little, what, probably two and a half hour float. Um, right here in town where we live in Canton, and our, it was pretty great, <laughs> dude. It's 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 so the fact that we've never that we do this more now. First of all, big shout out to River Rat that they you know always delivers, and we were able to put our little raft out there, and uh, we took Foster with us, and uh, Foster got to sit back there, and for the first time he got to experience a float with what we consider one of the best new tools that we've learned about since doing this podcast in fly fishing, and that Caleb is. Our turtle box. Oh yeah, man. We so, love our turtle box. Turtle box audio, um, guys. If you haven't checked out turtle box audio, make sure and check out turtle box audio for all your outdoor sound. It is amazing. It is waterproof. It is rugged. It can take a beating. And we just sit ours right back there on the back of our raft, and it just gets us. I mean, we were. What's cool about this place is we were just you know, right through the park. It goes people walking, people yeah, shouting at sure. us, knowing us by name, while we're uh, hauling in some some trout on some streamers, and uh, it's a good time, man. We. 
I missed I miss some fish today, but uh, <laughs> hey, I was just out of practice. I don't know. But it's so cool. Something we've talked about on the show a lot is take advantage of the waters right around you, whether yeah. they're trout waters, whether they're ditch pickles, whether they're bass, <laughs> yeah. whatever you got. Take advantage and get outside. Foster had a blast. Got him on the oars for a little bit today. <laughs> that was pretty uh, great, yeah. So he some got, real slow water got right some there. some slow water. He got he, to start he had doing, fun a little, on that. doing a little rowing in and a uh, good trip. But uh, always made possible those trips make uh, a more fun but with uh, Turtle Box. So big shout out to Turtle Box. Give them a check. Check them out at turtleboxaudio.com. Yeah, check them out at turtleboxaudio.com. You can check out their amazing speakers there. Well, Joshua, I am extremely excited about today's episode. Um, <clears throat> we recorded this one a little while back, and I've been just really excited to be able to share it with everybody else. And so on today's episode, we have Mr. George Daniel. And uh, George Daniel, if you're in the fly fishing community, yeah, especially if you're your own nymphing, he doesn't really need much of an introduction but uh george is a phenomenal guy um and you're going to hear that in this episode he's extremely knowledgeable about trout fishing he teaches the uh penn state fly fishing class there at penn state college in uh, state college pennsylvania i think every college should have a fly fishing class i mean it would have been a blast <laughs> if i'd have had one at clemson although i don't know if i would have even taken it at that time but um we hear so much and what I love about uh, George's story is just kind of his origins into fly fishing and how important those kind of early mentors were for him. And then now how he is really taking fly fishing and using it as a way to to mentor college students and to give them something that could help make them a ultimately just a better human. And uh, But George is also extremely knowledgeable about urinimping, and we talk a lot about that in today's episode and some of those techniques and whether or not that's a great way to get kids into fly fishing. And then in the second part of our episode, we take a really good time to talk with George about his own fishing experience with his kids. And uh, that's a lot of fun as he shares a couple of funny stories that cool he stories. has with his kids um, of getting them out on the water. So uh, I just hope everyone who listens to this um, enjoys it and just want to take a minute right now to thank George. We got the chance to meet him at the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wife Festival. Um, Mr. Tom Rosenbauer told us we should get him on our show because he loves taking his kids fishing, and uh, it was definitely a very fun conversation. Yeah, when Tom Rosenbauer tells you to get somebody on your show, you pretty much do it if you're a fly fishing show. <laughs> yeah, That's kind of way we looked at it. It's kind so of a great guy to listen like, hey, we got to talk to George, and we did, and it was a cool episode, and I really learned a lot, and it's also just cool how George is a great dad and a great angler. Um, so it was a perfect fit for our show, and we're excited uh, for this one. But before we go into it, one more big announcement. For our podcast listeners, we have said over and over how cool it is and how much it helps grow our show to uh, to get reviews and ratings, right? So we're currently at like the 83, 84 mark on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to this show right now and you haven't left us a review and you're on Apple, all right, we're, we got a goal. We'll try to get to 100 ratings or reviews, okay? When we do that, Caleb, we are going to do a giveaway for listeners only so no instagram giveaway just for the listening audience and you will only find out about that giveaway on the podcast so if it does it this week we'll do it next week if it takes two weeks if it takes a month whenever we hit that hundred we are going to do a giveaway and i think we're gonna give away not only some stickers and maybe some some merch but um we might we might have an extra hat to give away. We also got some fly tying tools, man, that we need to, that we need to give away uh, from our buddies at Anadromous. So st- stay tuned for that. It's going to be coming hopefully this summer. And uh, without further ado, man, I think we're good to go to Mr. George Daniel. Yeah, sounds good. Leave us a uh, rating or review, and we would, uh, yeah, if we can get to 100 rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts, we'll drop a special giveaway only for listeners yeah and so we had had some people that. that have tried to do that and and kind of struggled with how to do it so if you if you get on our podcast on apple and you just scroll to the bottom you will see down there where it says tap to rate or leave a review there's little and, uh, five stars and yeah a little click yeah. five stars because yeah, yeah, five only stars. five stars what, what, what other kind of view would you give this show <laughs> so, yeah. uh, especially after this episode today with mr george daniel it's going to be awesome caleb Wow, everybody's listening to this this week. Hopefully, I'll be posting pictures of some uh, some cool Texas fish. Sounds good, man. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for checking out this episode, and we hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. George Daniel. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Catch Cam Nets. Catch Cam Nets, where you can build your own net. It's your net, so you choose every feature. Check them out online at catchcamnets.com.
Dads on the Fly is also brought to you by Trout Routes. Joshua, when we are looking for new places to go catch trout, I can think of no better resource to use than the Trout Routes app. It has been an awesome thing to help us find more trout to catch. Yeah, man, whether exploring new water or just being a new angler at all, Trout Routes now includes all of the lower 48 states on their amazing app that can be found anywhere you get your apps. So make sure and download Trout Routes today for all your fly fishing adventures. Well, uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode. We want to welcome Mr. George Daniel to the Dads on the Fly podcast. George, thanks for hanging out with us. No, thanks for having me, guys. Well, George, you're a man who needs no introduction um, when it comes to the fly fishing world. You have written the book, literally, on a lot of great things and a lot of different tactics when it comes to fly fishing, and we are just honored that you would take some time to spend with us to talk a little bit more about some of your uh, unique skills that you've crafted over time with an amazing fly fishing journey and uh, we also just want to hear a little bit too about some of your dad life tonight so before we dive into the dad life things though we would love to talk a little bit about some fly fishing so George where did it all start for you we love asking people that on this show where did it all begin yeah I mean I I grew up uh, in the remote village and, and it was called Germania but in the they called it God's country because it was really only you and God knew where you were I mean we the <laughs> county I, where I grew up there was one 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 parking uh basically one one parking lot and, uh, and that was it uh it was just desolate I mean we for me a highlight was every two weeks my mom would pick us my brother and I off at school this is when I was like in fourth and fifth grade and we would drive 20 miles east to Wellsboro to get a McDonald's uh, and a Pizza Hut pizza. I mean, and that was like, that was like the highlight, the one or two highlights every month for us. So I, I grew up in the sticks. So in where I grew up, we were a one car family and my father was always traveling. And so I had this beautiful brook trout fishery that flew right past my house. Yes. And uh, my brother at the time didn't fish. So and it was the kids only section. So up until the age 14, I had this like private fishery all to myself. So my father got me introduced, uh, introduced fly fishing to me, but he was kind of impatient, wasn't a very good teacher, but he at least introduced the skill sets and then pretty much just set me loose. And, and that's all I did uh, in the summers. I mean, that's, that's all I, that's all I knew how to do was just, this was before the days of Nintendo was just walking uh, the stream. I had a little huffy bicycle. I would ride three, four miles downstream and just fish, but, and yeah, you know, I'd be back home for dinner uh, and that was it. But, it was, uh, I couldn't think of a better way to, to grow up. Sounds Man, like an idyllic childhood I, for sure. Just that story he told there about the driving to me. Caleb will not remember this because uh, he was barely a, a little to- toddler then. But my, my dad's first church when we were growing up, it was 20 minutes from McDonald's too. And I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget when we moved to uh, the, his uh, churches when he was, uh, when I was in second grade. We, we pulled into our new house and you could see the arches from our driveway. And that was like the moment of, wow, I've arrived. And if you knew the size of this city, it's not a big city by any means. But it was like, wow, we're in a big city now. Uh, so too cool that you uh, got those opportunities to kind of, you know, explore that as a young child. Um, but over time, you moved into Pennsylvania and you've developed uh, a lot of things in this area. But what is it about, before we talk about your teaching and your passion for Penn State, what is it about Pennsylvania waters that you have really fallen in love with over, over a career fishing there? Well, one is, I mean, there's an emotional intelligence or emotional attachment to the streams. And I think I, I've had, I, I travel all the time. I've, I've been all over the world when I was competing with the adult team, U.S. fly fishing team, when I was coaching and even just fishing and running seminars and con- conducting workshops across the country. But to me, like there's just an emotional bond uh, with the waters. It's where I grew up. Uh, I just feel like this is home uh, and this is, and this is where they're going to bury me. Like this is in Pennsylvania. And I love, I love traveling. I, I love the other, but I, I, I would never move to Montana. I would never move to like, I'm, I'm a Pennsylvania boy. Uh, and you know, I grew up in the sticks of Pennsylvania and that's where they're going to, to bury me. Uh, and that's, uh, there's just something about the streams. You know, we do have some really cool geological features. Uh, we have limestone, karst limestone in our area. So what that means is while we do have some nice freestone streams where, you know, we have water, you know, that's dependent on rare, you know, snow melt and rainfall. We also have these underground caverns of water that produce year round, like basically cold AC units, 
uh, jolts of water into our local stream. So we have these limestone slash spring creeks that fish 365 days a year. Uh, so they don't get too cold in the winter and they don't usually get too warm in the summer. So it is an amazing fishery. So you've got like good water temps, really good bug life and some pretty good trout populations. So th this is what makes central Pennsylvania as special uh, as it is. And there's a reason why people have come from great distances to, to fish trail waters, because I wouldn't say they're better than streams out West, but for the Eastern stand, for the Eastern standards, we really do have, I think some of the best fishing in the East coast. And when I look at Pennsylvania, central PA, I think it's like one of three Meccas. You know, I know you guys are from North Carolina, but I think like the Catskills up in New York, I think like the Asheville area and like Western North Carolina, that's like another Mecca. And then State College, Pennsylvania is kind of like the third and fourth Mecca uh, in the area. So we've just got some great water. I think that is, uh, I'm glad that we got included there. Our home waters <laughs> got included in those three Meccas. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, right there in Western North Carolina. But how far, when we, like for us, for where we live, you just mentioned Asheville. So, you know, you come to Asheville, you come to where we live and, you know, within an hour and a half drive, man, there's just so much. Is that kind of the same way there? I'm not as familiar with the landscape. No, that's, you... that's, and that's what, it's exactly right. And that's why I consider like Western North Carolina, like a Mecca. And it's the same thing with state college. It's just like within, once you're in state college, once you're within like, within like 30 minutes and either as your like hand crawls out, like on a topo map, you've got like four like world-class trout fisheries and unlimited you know, smaller tributaries dumping into that. So just like Western North Carolina, you've got like so much within a short given period uh, of area. And I like the West, but you know, for guys out West and, and girls, like it, it's nothing for some of these folks to like travel sometimes two, three, four hours for just one way for a day trip where like I, I cringe now when I have to travel more than a half hour for fishing. I, we're just kind of spoiled uh, in that sense. I can get on more with that. I, uh, I feel the same way. We've got some friends that, uh, live down in like Alabama and they're constantly coming up here because yeah. they're, and they're like, Oh, it's worth the four hour drive. And I'm like, man, we are so spoiled because we're 10 minutes <laughs> from some amazing wild water and some, some great, uh, delayed harvest water as well. So we are very, uh, yeah, we're spoiled to say the least. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely something that when you first get into trout fishing, you you don't realize how spoiled you are. And then you meet all these people through the community and they're telling like, well, you know, I plan my summer vacations around getting to trout water or my spring breaks. or my, And I'm like, well, we just live here. And uh, you, you get <laughs> really full. But uh, d Pennsylvania, you know, we, we've never fished it. Um, definitely something we want to do. Um, but in, you know, getting involved with the community more and meeting people, it's a it's a place that a lot of people do come to. They love it. Uh, is it a certain type? I mean, I know it's trout, but is there maybe a greater percentage of trout, different species that's more popular. Do you have the native brook trout in that area as well? Oh, yeah. So like where I grew up, kind of in the north central part of the state, while we do have good brook trout fishing throughout the state, like where I grew up, we, that's pretty much all of this is just blue lines. You know, we've got like a, a branch of the Susquehanna River going through like around where I live right now in Lock Haven. But if you look at a topo map, any of the blue lines going in there, there's a few with AMD issues. But other than that, they're all native uh, brook trout fishery. So wow. we have just an immense amount of brook trout fishery. And the thing about Pennsylvania, I'm not trying to sell it too much because we have – I know Western North Carolina, like Asheville, like I've been going down there since for like 15 years. Asheville 15 years ago is not the Asheville I see today. It's just – it's – you know, and there's a and there's a good and a positive with with people coming into the area, but yeah. I don't want to oversell Pennsylvania because we 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 have hit the max peak level, so we, we <laughs> we're good. It's good, but, but don't come we, check it out. So. Yeah, but, <laughs> well, but maybe we for vacation. Have, uh, but we have more miles of trout water than any other state in the lower 48. Wow. Uh, we we really we have uh, yeah we have close to like 23,000 miles of trout water. Wow, uh, and, and 16,000 of them are wild trout. So it's it's amazing like you could spend the rest and as i tell my students at penn state like you could spend the rest of your life in this state fishing a new body of water and never fishing the same body of water for the rest of your life it really is an immense resource we have and your wild populations are those uh all three species of trout that that are wild there so yeah we do i mean we've got uh we do have native brook we have got wild browns and in some we do have a small segment in throughout the state and somehow it's starting to grow from what i've been told but we do have some wild rainbows but mostly uh brown and uh, brook trout 
uh, and the rainbows that mostly stock, but we do have some wild rainbows for that. Really cool. Well, uh, you brought up state college a couple of times. You talked a lot about Penn state. Uh, you definitely have a huge passion for teaching this sport of fly fishing. And so, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about where that comes from. And then we want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the class that you actually teach there at Penn state. I mean, I've always been interested in like learning, um, it, even from a young age, like I even, you know, and I was, I was horrible and horrendous in school, but whenever I was interested in a subject, and this was the day before YouTubes, uh, I would just read and I just, and I would just basically become addicted to like, if it was fishing or whatever, like I would just anything that a particular individual was writing about, like I would just pretty much just swallow every bit of information that this person was put out. So I just, I felt that teaching is probably one of the most important tools. Uh, and the reason why I say that is when our family, we grew up in Northern Pennsylvania, re relocated to central PA when I was 14. And that's when I started fishing with a guy named Joe Humphreys and some other local, but within a short period of time, just, you know, trying to learn things on your own is sometimes difficult. And with books, this was before YouTube, it was even more difficult to understand like casting techniques for a, you know, a 12 year old trying to read step by step on how to cast a fly rod on it on his own. But just spending a couple minutes, like a couple days with these folks, like you could just see your learning curve, just shoot right up off the charts. And it's like, as soon as I noticed that, it's like, man, this is, this is awesome. Like just like one or two, interactions is going to just set you your trajectory on a completely different course. And I just kind of fell in love with it and just fell in love with how good teachers communicate ideas and concepts uh, and the importance of just on how people can communicate those ideas and just make people better versions of themselves. And I think, uh, you know, the people who I, I love uh, reading about the most these days, you know, like there's an old guy named John Wooden, uh, former UCLA basketball coach, but I mean, I'm kind of an old school guy, kind of an old soul, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I just love people like Coach Wood and people like him and like guys like Joe Humphreys. But one of the things um, I remember listening to Lefty Cray talk about, and this was maybe at the Virginia show years and years ago, was good instructors don't show people how good they are. They try to help people become better fly fishers. And that's my whole purpose. I, I don't consider myself a good angler, but I do tr really try to become the best teacher possible. And, and that's the thing I, I, I find more joy giving information and seeing people succeed than what I do when I'm catching my fish. I, I didn't always have that when I was 12 and 14, I wanted to catch a fish, but now that once you kind of cut, once you, I've caught a few fish in my life, um, the reward is in the greater challenge is actually helping others become better versions of themselves from an angling standpoint. Yeah. we got a couple follow-ups to a couple things you said there. One, can, can you speak to just, how important it is. And I, I just in listening to some other podcasts you've been on also meeting you, I know that you feel that it is so important to be and for folks in the sport to have a mentor like you had um, with Mr. Humphreys and how much that meant to you that somebody was able to kind of just take you under their wing and fish with you and just speak to the importance of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it was kind of funny. There's a, there's another podcast non-fishing is called Tim Ferriss, the Tim Ferriss podcast, but he had a guy named Derek Sivers on, I was listening to today, but the cool thing about mentors, especially in today's world with social media and YouTube, you don't actually have to know the person now uh, to actually have a mentor. And, and that's, what's cool. Like even now, like as I'm getting into photography, I'm really getting hardcore in photography. Like I have a, a bunch of great mentors uh, and they have no idea who the hell I am. And that's, and that's, and, that, and that's a cool thing. Yeah. But for me is this, you, you have to choose your, your mentors wisely. And you just, you not only just pick people with skill sets that you want to learn from, but also you pick people with the, the mindset and just the personality and the morals that you also look up to and value. So, you know, Joe was a great angler, but he was a dedicated fly fisher and, and, and dedicated teacher. I mean, he really lived to teach. And and he always taught, told me, even when I started fishing with him early on, like, if you get into this game, George, like, the most important thing is helping others rather than trying to help yourself. Uh, and that's and that for me right there is just very important. Surrounding myself with people like Lefty, like Joe, 
uh, and other good people that took teaching uh, as a top priority rather than just showboating, showcasing, you know, here's this fish pick, here's this, here's, I'm catching all these big fish. Uh, my, my goal these days is just hopefully helping people out mm-hmm. uh, and enjoy themselves more in the water. That's so it's ref- a long-winded qu- answer, but that's kind of the way I look at it. No, I think that's so refreshing because just in the, you know, culture that we find ourselves in today and it is such a like boost your own ego culture show off the big fish picks it's it's kind of like is fishing just become a means for us to just gain popularity but i love the way you're kind of taking the spin on it if it's really it's a great way to help people and um and i I think that's really just refreshing for for the culture that we find ourselves in right now yeah and i wanted to say i wanted to ask as you've, I think I heard you, you did guide some before you went the teaching, correct? Or were you doing both on top of each no, other there for a while? Yeah, I'm still doing the good big guiding now uh, okay. on the side on, on in the summers. But I mean, for, yeah, for oof, 10 years, I was pretty much doing like 220 days a year, like doing lessons and guiding. So I was, I was every weekend, I was on a road somewhere doing somewhere, something. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been doing this for a long time. Really cool. So tell us a little bit more about this, uh, the, the fishing class that you teach at Penn state or what you're allowed to tell us, um, kind of go into that. What does that all entail? It's a, it's a cool program. I mean, that's kind of how I really started learning about, you know, a guy named Joe, Joe Humphreys and George Harvey, but Penn state has had a fly fishing program since the 1930s. Wow. Uh, a guy guy named George Harvey, uh, long story short, was a student there. Uh, Joe George is considered the dean of American fly fishing. But when George was a student at Penn State, uh, his freshman orientation, the dean came in at that point uh, to just do a quick talk to the freshman. Said, "Hey, you know your priorities here at Penn State is academics, but if you're interested, you need to find some some like leisure activities." And he was explaining one of mine is fishing. And he goes, and by the way, this is like trout season is going to be opening up. I'm actually going to be trout fishing if anyone wants to ride the stream next week. So George basically solicits a ride with the dean the next week to the trout stream. They get there, and the dean is fishing bait. And the dean looks at George, and George has a fly rod. And the dean's like, listen, kid, like, you know, this is not the time to be throwing flies. Like, you want to throw bait? And George is like, I'll be okay. So fast forward a couple hours, they rejoin, they regroup. Uh, Dean comes back and says, yeah, I had a good day. I caught two fish. And he's like, how did you, how did you do George? And George is like, I caught my limit. And those were the days when you could actually catch 25 fish. Wow. And the Dean's like, you did what? And he goes, oh yeah. He starts pulling out these fish, like 12, 14, 15, 16 inches. And he goes, oh my goodness, I've never seen a, a catch like that. And then George is like, those aren't even the big ones. And then on his, like his big old rain jacket coat, he pulled out like another five fish that were like between like 20 and 22 inches. But the dean basically was so impressed with that that he actually created a, a class, a fly fishing class at the university because he wanted to learn how to fish. Um, and then eventually it became credited. Uh, so in 19, 1947, I think, 46, it became a credited course. I think the first one in the nation, possibly in the world. Uh, George taught that for like 30 years. And then Joe Humphreys ran it for great for uh, you know 20 years. Then there's been a couple other instructors. And then I was lucky enough to take on the, the teaching position a couple of years ago. So it's, to me, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, I, I like a little bit of history. I'm not always yeah. hardcore on tradition uh, because sometimes tradition, some traditions need to be broken, but this right here from, this is a, like a job I've always wanted since I was like 14 years old. And to be able to have this job, even though there's ups and downs, it's, it's just awesome. Uh, and it's it's a great program. It's part of the kinesiology program, so it's a gym it's a gym credit. It's not a degree. It's just a, a general uh, physical education credit, where students spend the entire semester. We learn about bugs. We tie flies. We go on field trips. We do field trips like a local conservations and organizations. So it's a very hands on. But basically, the idea is that we are not curing cancer with this class. It's a it's a it's a simple program. It's a simple class, but. The kids that we have in our program, we have kids. I have, I have physicists. I have astro uh, people get, uh, learning mapping out space matter for SpaceX and NASA on their internships. But people that are doing some really cool work, and they're going to need some sort of release uh, when they get into the grind of life because life is not going to get any slower. It's going to actually just, unfortunately, it's going to keep getting busier and busier, and they're going to need something to kind of take them away from that. And 
fishing as as we explained to them and what they're going to experience is it is one of the best leisure activities because you can do it pretty much anywhere for any species and you can do it for the rest of your life and that there's a reason why guys like george harvey and joe lived into their 90s Uh, joe is still 94 and going strong but he he will say over and over again that fishing is the one thing that gets them excited And, and that's the one thing about longevity in life is as long as you have something to look forward to mm. there's going to be a reason for you to get your butt out of bed and, and take the first step outside uh and and that's what fishing does and i and i hope that's what fishing will do to these younger kids and it's not always immediate you know sometimes when you you can plant a seed but it may dor- lay dormant for a number of years but eventually it, they may pick it up a couple of years but we're just trying to create better people uh with healthier happier lives uh and we could do that through fly fishing now, is there a uh, couple different? Do you have to te- teach multiple sections a semester, or are you able to get it down to one? Or no, we have we have a, a minority class we teach. We have a basic class, and we teach. I teach an advanced class as well. So in total, we actually have another instructor, but I teach a total of seven sections, okay. and our other instructor she teaches one section. So it's it's literally. I mean, it's 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 a it's a full time gig. It's uh, a f- definitely full time yeah, gig. It's probably- Probably a tough class to get into. I was about to say, is there a waiting? I was thinking there's a waiting list, right? There's a huge, there's a huge waiting oh, list. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least now you have a chance because now we have like eight, a total of eight sections. But before it was, it was nearly impossible to get. But yeah, it's it's still it's still a very popular class to get into. Yeah, because I mean, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Penn State's a huge school, correct? I mean, it's it's it's, it's a, a monster. It's very large. Like, school. I forget mid thirties thousand students. Yeah, wow. it's, it's a it's a yeah. It's, it's huge. So over time, um, I know as a, as a middle school educator, so not higher ed for me, but have you found yourself just going back into teaching, Im- improving over time and changing things to, to teach better sort of today's college student versus maybe even five years ago, or I don't know how long you've been doing it, but as, yeah. as, as society yeah. has changed? Yeah. I mean, kids, you know, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. I mean, we have different. So kids these days, they have much shorter attention spans. Like you just, you just, you just need, and you, you read on research, but basically you get a feel like you have emotional intelligence. You feel like if you're going too long on some particular thing, you just need to stop and maybe switch gears. But I'm always changing, you know, and there are people that I know I work with that they basically have the same syllabi every year and they use the same Every it requires a lot more work on my part, but I'm switching the syllabi every semester, and even during the semester, just even within different classes, because I, I teach six sections of the basics, and every one of those six sections are going to be different uh, than the other. Some kids are going to like the, uh, sometimes the the group mentality is like, yeah, we're we're going to do this, like we're, they're gone ho, we can get through more patterns, we can get get through more information. Other classes just. Maybe it's a maybe it's a Thursday evening class. The kids are just they're ready to go partying or whatever it is. But basically, you just have to modify your approach based on what the kids are doing. So there, there's always adjustments that are being made for sure. I think that's good. I think it's wise too. Uh, definitely, I uh, don't want to get stuck into the same thing over and over again just for the sake of doing it. Um, yep. I'm just thinking if I, I mean I don't I don't know if I'm qualified to teach higher ed, but if I could find a college somewhere around here, I would definitely be applying <laughs> for that job. It sounds, it definitely sounds like a fun. Sounds gig. like a lot of fun for sure. It's being a good able to gig. teach fly fishing. Well, <clears throat> George, one of the things you're really known for is uh, you have written some books and done a lot of great uh, research and learning into the uh, tactic of euro nymphing, and so we want to talk about that with you a little while. First of all, um, have you? always been kind of contact nymphing for a long time or when did, when did you learn it and why have you yeah. kind of felt really drawn to it? I mean, I've been contact nymphing since I was like 13 years old when I started reading Joe Humphrey's trout tactics. So I was doing some form of tight line nymphing at that point, but it just, it's, it's by catching fish. I mean, you can, there's different mentalities and different ethics with fly fishing, but for me, usually I, I want to catch fish. I yeah. mean, I love beautiful nature, but I also just, I love feeling slimy things in my hand and then releasing them back <laughs> in the water. So, you know, it's, uh, if it's, if it, if it's dependent on me staying on the river waiting two hours for a hatch never to happen and just never make a cast, I'm, that's just not my mentality. I, I can do that once in a while, but usually I, I like to stay active. And, and what nymphing does, it just allows people, this technique allows people to catch fish pretty much consistently throughout the year in a number of water types. 
do you teach in your basic class? Is that how you teach beginners to to fly fish? I don't I don't do so much with Euro nymphing, and, and that sounds really crazy. I do that with more of my advanced. Okay. But the reason, long story short, without getting into the technical side of things, the Euro nymphing is nowadays is basically a, a, a modified version of bait fishing, bait you know, spin cast, and we're we're often fishing like mono rigs, basically no fly line and a heavy fly, and you're just basically ma- making the cast. The heavy fly pulls the thin line through the air, so it's basically like spin fishing. Mm-hmm. And Euro and nymphing is mostly a trout game. And most of the students, when they graduate, I mean, when you look at the map, there's there's a fraction of the water that actually harbors trout. So most of these people are going to be going, you know, warm water, salt water. That is where you actually need to like work on streamer tactics, like dry. But you actually need to learn how to cast, like actual casting and so forth. So that is where I actually spend most of my time talking about streamers, you know, casting, and pretty much other tactics. And and I do introduce Euro nymphing, but because it's so effective and so easy, sometimes like if if I try doing that right off the, no, they don't want to do anything else. So I've and we're talking about making those adjustments. So that's why now, like, I, I wait till like the end of the semester to kind of introduce that that concept of Euro nymphing because I don't want them just getting stuck on that because there are so many cool things about fly fishing and fly casting is is really one of those things. But that's the one thing about Euro nymphing is uh, like with good Euro anglers, you'll find that surprisingly a large number of them cannot ca- actually cast a fly rod. They don't know how to cast a dry fly. If there's a hatch going on. They have no idea how to fling a fly line. They can they can fling a lot of weight with a euro rig, but they can't cast. So it is very important for me if I do my job correctly that they actually learn proper casting skills, and then we introduce euro a little bit later on. You made a comment in there that was leading me to a question we have from a, a good buddy of ours. I actually told him we were speaking. You know, he's a big euro guy. He uh, runs our fly well, fly shop right here in Maggie Valley. I think you met him in Virginia, but he wanted me to ask you this question. I want to make sure, and you said nowadays, so it kind of made me think of the question. How has tightline nymphing evolved from maybe its origins um, to how it's practiced and done today? Has, has there been a shift? Sure. Talk about Shannon? Yeah. That's, that's, Shannon? That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Tell him it's so low. But uh, hi, actually, if you listen to this, hi, Shannon. But it's the principles. I mean, the techniques are the same. The casting, the line control – it's the exact same thing that basically occurred when Skews stuck his middle finger up to the angling world in England years ago and said, I'm going to sink a fly below the surface. And, and Halford and all these guys, I mean, there was protests. I mean, like it was yeah, just like sacrilegious. <laughs> so the techniques have been the same, but the tools that we're using have been refined. I mean, and that's all it is. It's just, it's just a scaled up version set of tools that just makes the job so much easier than what they were doing years ago. That's all it is. Just old technique, new tools, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, you, you are uh, very well known for your t- tactics and skills when it comes to your nipping. Uh, for somebody who's wanting to get into it, um, who's wanting to check out your nipping, maybe they fly fish for a while. Uh, what would you suggest as kind of the go-to maybe set up? So, I mean, use what you want. Uh, you can use, you can make any work, any rod work. But in, in short, with these with these Euro systems, you're casting ver- virtually no fly line. You need a rod that can cast with very little mass. So long story short, trying to cast long leaders with a nymph on a fast or a typical nine foot five weight, nine foot six weight rod, is just going to be difficult because those rods are designed to cast fly line. What we are trying to do is cast a rod that is designed to cast mono rigs or very light systems. And that's where... Uh, like a 10 foot three, if I was going to pick one rod, a 10 foot three weight uh, with a, like basically like a level six or eight pound test mono system with a cider and fly off. That's all you need. Just keep it simple. You don't need a, a Euro fly line uh, unless the state where you fish prohibits the, the length of a leader, you know, longer than 18 or 20 feet. But a, a Euro line, and this is coming from a, a guy that gets paid by manufacturers to sponsor, to sell fly lines. There's a time and place for fly lines, but when it comes to Euro nymphing, you don't need a Euro line. You, it's go with mono, just a level of section of monofilament is all you need to get the job done. Actually, a lot better, too. Hmm, interesting. 
There you go. So, so the 10-foot so three <clears throat> is where you would start. I th- isn't that what we... Yeah, that's what, what we just recently days? acquired. We, we're what I would call... Caleb's maybe a little better than I am. Oh, but we're I'm, both extremely novice. We are extremely novice, but it's a... We took, it's a fun new way to learn to fish. Yeah, it's a new challenge. Yeah, and my eleven-year-old has kind of fallen in love with it. So he is because yeah, he, he catches more fish. Yeah, let's be honest. He was catching like <laughs> exactly. fish the other day, like crazy. And so now he, anytime we go, he's like, "Well, we have to take that rod." So he's into the Euro thing for sure. And how how old is he? Eleven. Yeah. So and that's the and that's the nice thing about these Euro rods. I mean, when you're talking about kids, like you want to talk about the worst piece of advice that people will say is like, well, you have a, you have a kid, you got to give them a short rod, short kids, short rod. They're already limited with their, their height and their range of motion. Yeah. So the worst thing you can do is actually give them a short rod. Uh, the best thing you can do is give them a long lever uh, with a soft tip that allows easier casting with li- minimal amount of movement. So Euro rods, if you're starting to get your kids out fishing, like that is like the tool that are like a 10 car rod. Like you couldn't ask for a better tool to, to get kids on the water with. I think that's really good and really wise. We were going to even ask you about that uh, later on, but you've kind of dove into it. Um, do you think Euro is a really good way to teach kids to fly fish? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the casting. When people think about Euro nymphing, they say it's this complex it's Euro nymphing is the most simplest form of fishing. Mm. It really is 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 bait fishing it is spin fishing you're just flicking weight holding the rod tip high keeping line leader off the water and you're just kind of following the drift it's it's easier said than done but i mean i've done hundreds and hundreds of lessons with young kids and just spending five to ten minutes with them teaching them basic principles like with your body how to get set up hand position making a cast and reading a drift that is it's a piece of cake but it's just five to 10 minutes worth of work, good casting techniques, reading the drift, seeing the strike is a piece of cake. It's just it's five to 10 minutes of good casting instruction is all most people need to achieve good results with this. I think that's good. And I think that's wise. Uh, I, my, like you said, your 11 year olds kind of checked it out. My seven year olds even fooled around with our Euro rod some. I think it is a really good means for teaching, I think, teaching I think, kids. I think you, I mean, we are talking to an expert here, so it may be. A little more. I don't. I didn't find it. Maybe that simple. Maybe I'm just not as good. I, I probably missed more fish the first time. I said, but but I'm working on it. I'm I'm getting better. I think yeah, it's a really I mean, cool way. Basically, of with your, with Euro nymphing, like if you if you're a traditional fly cat, like you have to relearn kind of. And, and big thing, the big thing with Euro nymphing is reducing the amount of movement. Like it's just making excessive movements. You're getting slack, and then basically. You're, you're playing cleanup. After the flies land, you're trying to strip in line. You're trying to move the rod to, to get line control. The big thing here is like when you're making these casts, it is like there's no body movement. Like you're getting squared up to your target. Your hands in forward position like you're going to throw darts. The only cat, and that's the beautiful thing about these cat, these rods, it doesn't require force. All you need is just hands forward, cock the wrist back. There's your cast. But if I make any sort of movement like this up and down, you're going to throw slack and you're going to be playing cleanup. So basically, hand in front, make the cast. And when you make a cast like that, it is like what I call sticking the landing. It's like an Olympic gymnast coming off the bars. And when they, when she or he lands, they're upright. So when you make that cast like that, line leaders off the water, your sighters in plain view, and you can see everything as clear as day. And you're going to be able to detect strikes. But if you start making excessive movements, you're never going to see the strikes, and you're going to be missing a lot of strikes. So what I'm telling you. <laughs> What a, what a shocker that Joshua struggles with that because he is definitely in an excessive mover is probably the best way yeah. to say that. That's, that's why. So, I, yeah, just slowing things down. Yeah. I think it's really good. Um, well, George, before we take a break, uh, you've, you've written some great books on fly fishing, and uh, I'd love for you – you've got another one coming out this year. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a couple books. I have uh, Dynamic Nymphing. I have Nymphing, uh, New Angles and Tactics. I wrote a – book on streamer fishing called strip set and now i have a book called uh fly fishing evolution which is basically i'm a tinker like every 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 year i'm playing around with new ideas but this is basically kind of a, a modern version of what i'm doing with all my nymphine drive flying streamers mostly is kind of a, utilizing a, a mono rig or very long leaders with all three approaches uh, I, t- I talk a little bit about some other techniques but it's just kind of the the way i've set things up to really kind of simplify my process, uh, reduce the amount of gear I carry and actually have a lot more fun. And I've been catching more fish now than I ever have in, in the past. So just sharing those experiences. Uh, and that's, that's going to be out in this fall, I think. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I'm excited to when that drops. Well, I'll definitely be checking it out. I, I think anytime you get kind of because uh, you've been doing it for so long, and you see that kind of change over time of way you've kind of uh, really just honed in your techniques. I think you can learn a lot from that. So I'm excited about the book. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's and that's the cool thing about life. It's just like you just always getting what you don't want is people that you're learning from to be saying the same thing that they did 10 years ago. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are some truths that need to stay the same, but if you're not eventually like trying to get outside that the ditch or outside the the hole, you're you're not growing as an individual. So that's kind of one of the things I like to do is always experiment with new ideas. I love that. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited for that book. I encourage people to check it out whenever it comes out. Well, we're going to take a really short break and then uh, we'll be right back to talk with George a little bit more about um, his family and uh, getting some kids out on the water. So we will be right back. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Maggie Valley Fly Shop is your go-to stop in Western North Carolina for all your fly fishing needs. Whether you're looking to book a guided trip or you're wanting to go catch some gear that you may need before you hit the stream, hop into Maggie Valley Fly Shop, grab a cup of coffee, get all the gear you need, and go enjoy a great day on the water in Western North Carolina. You can also check them out online at maggievalleyflyshop.com. And we're back with Mr. George Daniel, and just want to take a second here on this part of our show to talk about George and his uh, fatherhood adventures. Um, one thing, Caleb, if you'll remember, we were sitting, uh, kind of standing around our booth at the uh, Virginia Flyfish Festival, and uh, Mr. Rosenbauer came by um, and was talking with us, and he was like, you guys need to meet George. You guys need, and George is here. You guys need to meet George because of how uh, he said that you love getting your kids and your family out on the water. And he's like, you'd be a great guest for your show. And uh, so I was like, well, we got to find him. And so we, we kind of looked for you that weekend, and we finally uh, got in touch with you. We've got this set up. So um, what does it mean for you? And, uh, you know, how are some just some cool things that you love about being a father not just in general, but more specifically on the water. And I know you got teenage kids. We were talking a little bit off air and how things have changed maybe in their lives. But uh, what does it just mean to you to be a dad who gets to get out on the water with his kids? Some, you know, it's it's been like a year and a half now since we've been on the water. Uh, now, you know, twelve and fourteen, they have social lives, uh, interests in sports, and now the opposite sex. So it's uh, it's it's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, and but it was it was great. Uh, and I mean, when I was guiding full time, I would pretty much schedule like workshops and clinics out west. So I would like for like three or four years, I would take one of them each summer oh, cool. on this like three to four week road trip out to Montana. Uh, and we would just drive across the states and I would just kind of hop in and just do my little dog and pony shows on like a weekend or somewhere. And then we spend the rest of the time just traveling, fishing and visiting my brother in Montana. And those are um, you know, when we, we don't have a lot of art, we don't have a lot of pictures in our house, but we do have some pictures my brother took of us when we were on the water. And those are, those are some of the, the greatest memories we have, uh, just being on the water with those kids and just at least showing them what is, what is out there. Um, uh, and eventually hopefully they get back to it, but it was just, I, I, I could not ask for a better way to, to take these kids out. I think it was just, it was a wonderful experience and I hope it's something that they remember. That's got to be really cool. So your favorite story of having your kids out on the water, if you could choose one, uh, do you have something that comes to mind? Like uh, maybe a story with your son or your daughter, special fish, special place, anything like that? So for me, I mean, to be honest with you, like one of our favorite, like my, my, we have an old farmhouse. We live in my old wife's uh, family's farmhouse. So bought this from her parents who got from her parent, from their parents, but so we rebuilt this old farmhouse, but there's a there's an intermediate stream that comes up through our house, and there's a couple trout in there, but suckers will run in there. And um, when my wife was a kid, one of the things that she did as a child was they would club suckers in the spring uh, <laughs> and eat the sucker eggs, uh, like sucker caviar, which is the, the most disgusting thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Of. Uh, but we would have these suckers that would run up to the property, um, and it was great. And we, we didn't club them. We've we've kind of evolved uh, beyond <laughs> that space. But just grab, you know, getting nets. And this is when there were, you know, just a, you know, a couple years ago. But 
scooping them up in nets and just, you know, grabbing onto them and then dropping them back in the water and letting them continue up on their mission. Now. But that, to be honest with you, it has nothing to do with fishing, but mm-hmm. that was just probably some of the coolest memories we have is just seeing those fish and just collecting those fish and just having a good time and, and laughing. You, you said that you maybe haven't been on the water in a year and a half, but I know that uh, being outside is important to you um, and just, just being out in nature and, where you guys live, it, have you had opportunities to to get outside with your kids, or even if it's? I, I think I saw a recent oh, yeah. picture of you. You, you're one of your sons into baseball, maybe in sports and stuff, and just just being outside together. Have you had some of those opportunities? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we like we have one of the things that we did on the property is um, I didn't want to do it with power tools, but I just like had an axe, so we just kind of like carved a, a a big path on our mountainside. So I had this like three quarter of a mile loop trail that we take i usually walk two or three times a day with my dogs but love taking our kids out for a walk you know even though they don't want but sometimes they're they're not always willing to go for a walk they're busy doing other things but we still get them outside um we have a pond our our daughter still like she you know she's 14 she's going through different stages of her life but she actually often on her own just loves walking up to the pond and we've got this like cool little pond in, in this forest area you can hear the peepers and just, but that's kind of like, that's, I don't want to call her a safe space, but that's where she goes for like just peace and quiet. Um, so they, they're always outside. They're outside on a regular basis, but just uh, with a fly rod in their hand, not as much these days. But I think that's, hopefully that's where we have succeeded is that even though they may not pursue fishing, which is perfectly fine, hopefully they do enjoy seeking that sort of quiet that solitude that nature can provide them you know we talk about this a lot george fishing is obviously a huge part of your life but you just said something there that i think is really profound it doesn't have to be their part like it doesn't have to be their thing yeah uh i feel like sometimes as dads we kind of have a tough time coming to grips with that like we want our hobby we want our kids to be you know enthralled with our hobbies um do you ever struggle with that or has it been something pretty easy for you it's been pretty easy for me. I mean, it's just spending time. And like, when you look at people like my mentor, Mr. Humphreys, I mean, his daughters, they don't fish. Uh, and when you look at like people that just really got in, like a lot of times you don't have people. F- for me, it's, I, I want the kids, my, my children to choose their own path. Mm. Uh, I don't want them to kind of follow in the path. And to be honest with you, it, it's never easy. Like if you have someone that has a little bit of name recognition, trying to follow someone, it's, it's always more difficult uh, to do that. So I'd rather have them, you know, try and follow their own path. And, mm-hmm. and that's the cool thing that you were saying about with, with fishing is sometimes it's fishing is like secondary. Like one of the things I've been learning with my Penn State students is, you know, you're trying to work with them, trying to get them to catch fish. And when you half the time, you just realize that they're just they're just happy, like flinging and flogging the water, maybe catching the fish. But they'll tell you that it is the, the most relaxing, the most enjoyable part of their week. Uh, so yeah, uh, fishing is just catching a fish is just a bonus, but just being outside is, is the, and that's the one thing I've, I've learned. And I think if I was to do things a little bit different, you know, rewind a few years was actually focusing less on trying to catch the fish. Cause I thought catching the fish was the most important thing for the kids. When in fact, it was just being outside and, and spending time with probably mom and dad. Mm. Sure. We, I think we've kind of learned that more so. And since we've been doing this show with people, with other guests and even being intentional Caleb and myself having these conversations sometimes when it's just us about what we've learned as fathers um, being present with our kids and how those lead to conversations or in some ways it just leads to comfort you know your kids are comfortable with you and if they're outside they don't even realize some really all the benefits they're getting um, just being comfortable with you uh, but in your experience uh, with your kids when maybe when they were younger or even other people's kids because I know you've guided uh, what have you found to be maybe some tips other, I know we talked a little about Euro, uh, that allows for a good day, let's say, even if it's a, a half day or a shorter period of time on the water w- with younger children. Yeah. So like my wife would be far better at this, but she, she did some cool things earlier on. So like I was kind of the instructor teaching, but you know, with, when our kids were like six and seven out West, like just bring lots of snacks. Snacks are very important. As I, I, I guess I forgot, I, I couldn't believe how important snacks were. Uh, but also just keep the fishing short, you know, but usually go to areas where you get some immediate feedback. So like pan fishing, 
you know, you don't want to take them to the South Holston Street. You know, you don't want to go to a technical Spring Creek. Make the fishing fairly easy. And then also, like, she used to bring squirt guns, which I thought was just stupid because, like, <laughs> I want genius. to fish. <laughs> but, yeah, like, bringing squirt guns. but And they would have squirt gun fights and uh, and all kinds of – but just mixing up a little bit. And as it turns out, that was actually a pretty cool thing. The kids – actually remember more of the squirt gun fights on the stream than they do of the fish that they caught. So that sounds like our mother. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, that sounds like <laughs> something that mom would do. That's really smart though. I'm going to have to remember that. We'll be taking some squirt guns out this summer for sure. Uh, uh, that just so sounds We're going like to have our squirt mother. gun holsters on the, uh, yeah, on, on their the, waders. Um, I on can the see it now. Boat. Yeah. Or on the, uh, on the raft. So <laughs> for sure. Um, so other than, uh, than, than those adventures and, um, some things like that. And I know you live in, trout world uh, i think you would say when you mm-hmm. get some opportunity i know you've been all over the country all over the world and uh, do you find yourself you know you're so good at euro and you, you lo- talked about wanting to catch fish in numbers are there some species that you still like do enjoy other than trout oh yeah i mean it's become an unhealthy habit uh life, you know, lifestyle but musky fishing has been kind of uh, uh-huh. taking me by storm for the last five or six years i mean yeah i bought a i mean i bought a, a hog island jet boat and i mean i i spent and for a boat that i have no intentions of ever guiding out of so it's not even it's just it's just personal waste uh space for myself but yeah muskies pretty much like when trout start spawning here i will spend every waking moment on our rivers until freeze up just chasing muskies uh and and quite often suffering days and days without seeing a fish uh, so yeah, musky, we have bass, we have really good bass carp fishing. We have some good carp flats fishing right now. Uh, I, I love panfish. I do a, a pile of pan fishing, uh, on my local ponds, uh, on the local lakes. So really anything that swims. In fact, I would love to do more saltwater fishing. If I, if I, I tell my college kids that if I live closer, like Isla Mirada, like warm saltwater flats, I'd be broke, alcoholic, divorced, or all the above because <laughs> I, I could I could just walk flats all day long and just target bone fish. And I mean, there is like that's all I would want to do. So yeah, I I like anything that swims. But if I still had one one option, one choice, trout fishing. I mean, I just love trout fishing. Uh, but there, but variety is good. And when you start. If you do the same thing over and over again, you kind of get stuck into a route or routine. It's really good. You, you actually learn to appreciate trout more when you kind of venture out. And a lot of the skill sets you learn in saltwater fishing and others, you can also bring back the trout. I think that's one of the things that keeps me motivated and keeps me always playing around with new ideas with trout fishing is that I'm not trout fishing 365 days. I may be trout fishing 200 days, but I'm doing like another 100, 125 days with other species as well. Uh, one thing you said there, panfish. You, you need to you need to get our buddy Wade to send you some uh, Sam's One bugs. They are uh, the panfish extraordinaire. That that uh, popper that he ties the uh, Caleb's a little more. The, what is a foam? It's foam, correct, yeah. Caleb? If I don't, he's the tire. But uh, so the, those yeah. those popping bugs, man. They're, they're that's my kid uh, loves to do that uh, as well. And those those are some fun ways to catch some fish. Uh, wanted to take just a second there to um, talk. One thing you said that I think it's kind of been new for you. You talked about your mentors that don't know you, but you, if you, if anybody follows you on Instagram, you've really gotten into photography and, uh, and how is that? Is that just been something you needed maybe for a new adventure? Uh, or why did that kind of morph into something that you've started really getting involved in? I, I think the seed was planted years ago. My grandfather was actually a, a, a really good photographer. He gave me a Nikon F1 film for, uh, with a couple lenses um, and then I kind of got, I, I was in and out of it. And then what really got me back into it was my brother, my brother, Chris Daniel, he's been out West, but he is a legitimate prof- professional photographer. He's an amazing outdoor photographer. I think, uh, and Montana 406 shooters his, but he's, he does wildlife, uh, guide trips on Yellowstone and he got to spend time with some of the best wildlife photographers and he just developed good relationships and became just an amazing angler. And when I would go out and fish with them, like the thing I always cherished the most coming back were, were these snapshots or these images that my brother took of me when we were, when we were out there. And I just, I kind of fell in love with the photography. It's just, it's just cool being able to, to capture an image that you can use the rest of your life. So that for me uh, is just awesome. I just love photography. Uh, one thing you keep bringing up and I, I just wanted to ask a follow-up is 
you mentioned your brother. Um, you mentioned your wife a couple times. Uh, your family. What is the importance of family to you? Um, yeah, I mean, family is uh, family is. I mean, you don't say it's everything, but it, it is. It's a huge part of my life. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a, a quiet guy. I don't get too wound up and too emotional, as my my wife, and my kids will attest to. Uh, but you know, it's to me, blood is you know it is the strongest thing, and you know the 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 bond and my relationship my brother had we, we were kind of when we grew up we were four years of separate never really had a close relationship, but one of the things that fly fishing did was actually bring us together. Uh, after you know we got back, I got him a job out west, uh, but fly fishing was one of the things that kind of kept us united. And even with my wife now, like we, with our kids and personal life, like it just, things get complicated. You know, kids are going this direction, going to sports, going to kids, friend's house. But when we have our date night, it's usually on the water with the float or doing something else. So family for me is, is incredibly important. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's why I, I do what I do. You try to do the best you can. Uh, it's also the thing I stress out the most, uh, even though the my, the things that you think about, like with, now with your kids, your kids now think that you're just a monster and you're saying no for all these reasons. And, you know, I was the same way. I thought my parents were unfair. They didn't love me, blah, blah, blah. But it only took me about 30, 35 years later to figure out that maybe, you know, there's a reason why I didn't get exactly what I want every time. Like it developed for me, like we were dirt poor and like we didn't get hardly anything, but we got just enough and it was all that we needed. But Having that sort of mindset where I'm not, I wasn't handed everything on on a whim, really allowed me to develop a really aggressive mindset to the point where if I want something, I'm going to get it myself. I don't need someone. To, I'm going to take care of it myself. Uh, so that was that was a very important lesson in my life. And I hope eventually, even though the kids think my tough love is a little too tough, hopefully it's going to serve them better. Uh, later on in life and maybe maybe they'll think of me later on in life so you know maybe the old man was was right on a couple things <laughs> i know i'm wrong on a lot but i'm hoping this is uh i'm this is kind of like compound interest like long-term yeah. thinking on my part yeah i think that's was you know you talked about your relationship with your brother josh and i was real similar um we're four years apart <clears throat> weren't around a lot during those kind of major um you know coming of age years and then uh, fly fishing has really been the thing that has gotten us more connected probably in the past two or three years than anything. And um, and then doing this podcast on top of that, um, it's really created a much better bond and a better connection than we probably ever had in our entire lives. And so uh, it's been it's been pretty neat to experience that. Oh, there's no doubt it's about awesome. it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons, to be honest with you, with my students at Penn State, you ask them why they took the class in a good – good number of the students was, well, my father fished or my grandfather fished. I never fished, but I want to learn this skill set so I can actually spend more time with them on the water and develop a bond. So they're actually using fly fishing intentionally as a tool to spend more time with family members. So I think that's pretty cool uh, to hear that coming from, uh, you know, 20 and 21 year old, you know, know-it-alls. Yeah. And what, <laughs> when those know-it-alls, you know, go off and work for NASA and become all those things, they should remember their teacher and, you know, say, Hey, exactly. Mr. Yes. Daniel, we'd love to bring you to the saltwater flats where we now have houses because we, we've made it big in the world for sure. For sure. Well, George, we want to begin to wrap things up, but one kind of final question we wanted to ask you, um, you've been, you've been fly fishing since you were six years old. Um, so a lifetime of time spent on the water. Why do you think you keep coming back? What, what keeps bringing you back every every time you get to go out it's always a different it's always a different solution i mean it's never the same question i mean if it was always the same problem you're facing each and every time you just give it the same result you know same reaction you get the same but and you're going on the water every, everything's changing season's changing the fish are always changing everything is always in flux so when you're out there it's like a jigsaw puzzle that's evolving it's always changing it's, it's never the same and so for me it's it's always uh it's just the way that it's just a different problem for me to solve uh, each and every time on the water, even if it's the same body of water I've fished for 30 years. And that's one of the things I, I love about it. You're, you're always learning, you're always growing, and there's always days when you get your butt kicked. And those are, those are, those are good. We, we need that because if it's always about success, you don't grow. So sometimes for me, I like, and that's why I like going musky fishing. I, I love getting, you know, as much as I hate to say it, but I, I love suffering for two or three days and not seeing a damn fish. Like it just, it's maddening. 
but you don't get frustrated and you say, I'm going to give this up. All that does is just gives you more fire and fuel to say, I might get these bastards the next time through. So <laughs> that's, that's what I love about fishing. Well, George, we, we thank you so much before, before we get off here, we wanted to just give you a chance to tell everybody, um, your, your website, I believe I, I had it pulled up. just want to make sure I give that is a uh, living on the fly.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Living on the fly.com. Yep. Living on the fly.com. And there you can find all of your books and you also have a, uh, a great Instagram po- uh, ch- channel where you put, uh, sorry, lost my word there. Great Instagram channel where you put a lot of your photos and a lot of your fishing adventures as well. And, and you speak at all kind of different events. So all that can be found on your website. Correct. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And we'll make sure to link, uh, some, uh, links to your books and where places can, people can get a hold of those in certain places as well. Other than your new book, you got anything exciting the rest of this year? No, just uh, no, just a bunch of bunch of clinics, workshops throughout the country, which I'm excited about. And uh, no, just uh, that's the, I'm just wrapping up the book right now. I'm going through my final edit. So once I put that to bed, like I'm I'm taking a, a break from that stuff. But one of the things I am going to be doing is um, with this photography stuff, also getting heavy into the, the video stuff. I, I want to put a, a good bit of effort, spending a little bit less time guiding. And actually spending a lot more time putting out some quality content on YouTube, uh, just more about adventures, uh, adventures, the fishing techniques and so forth. But put a, a more a better effort towards that and, and a little less towards guiding and just see where that takes me. Really cool. I'll be excited and definitely be checking that out. George, thank you so much for your time. This has been so rich and uh, a lot of fun, a lot of learning. And uh, I'll definitely be taking some squirt guns out on the water. I've learned a great lesson from you your wife about that. And, <laughs> and also some great stuff about um, tightline nymphing. And so, George, thank you again for your time. And thanks, Ben, for being a part of this podcast. No, thanks for having me, guys. And wishing you guys all the best. Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone, for checking out this conversation with Mr. George Daniel. And until next time, tightlines. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired you as a parent or an angler. If you've enjoyed this episode, please check us out at dadsonthefly.com. There you can subscribe to our email list and find out all the things we got going on here at Dads on the Fly.